What's up, fan bros? This is your boy DJ Ben Amin, and on this episode of Fan Bros Show, we welcome activist DeRay McKesson to the spaceship. We talk Ferguson and Black Lives Matter, as well as some crazy geek stuff. And we talk about laying down that cyber pipe. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Doodle. And welcome, Internet, to another episode of Fan Bros. The show where the bros are fans or something to that extent. It's your boy, DJ Benjamin, a.k.a. D'Angelo's biggest fan in the building tonight on Fan Bros Show, the voice of the urban geek. And as always, I am joined by Tatiana King-Jones, the Grand Duchess of Tech, also known as the Uhura of the Spaceship, Miss Stiletto Stunner, and the Black Russian. Nice. And sitting in the corner, newly shaven, is... It's Chico Leo. I'm sitting in the corner. Yeah. Like Michael Stipe in Losing His Religion. I'm so glad you went with that, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. That's me in the corner. Well played. Yep. Yeah. How you doing, Chico? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm enjoying this luscious spring weather. Mm. You found a woman to shave your beard and make pottery with you? I did. No pottery, but, you mm. know, got, no the ghosts. Beard, got the beard shaving. Yeah. Pottery is next. Nice. Yeah. And some Polaroids, of course. Right. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what's going on, folks? It's your boy, Ben. I mean, it's Fan Bros Show, another very huge edition. We're in the house tonight in the spaceship. Been a lot going on in geek culture this week, boy. Man, but, you know, before we get to the geek culture, I got to big it up because, like I said, I'm D'Angelo's biggest fan, but Kendrick Lamar's new album leaked or released, leaked then released last night, day ago, day ago, this week, whenever you're listening to the show, it's out. And it's incredible. The mm. Pimp a Butterfly is the name of the album. I'm on my second listen now, and I'm loving it. It's great. I really just want to say I love how much great hip-hop has been coming out in the last couple of years. Big up to J. Cole. Kendrick gives a shout to Killer Mike and says if you was really missing when hip-hop was about rapping, then Killer Mike would be platinum. True story. Wow. Yes. So go pick up that Kendrick Lamar album, To Pimp a Butterfly. Tatiana, you got to hear it? I did not. I do have it on my iPhone. Yes. And it's just been sitting there. Yep. And but I've been hearing what everyone else has been saying, including you. Yes. And people are really highly saying that. Uh, th- I was saying highly of this album that like it's really up there with the best. And and in fact, they said um, better than his first album. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And his first album is pretty much a classic at this point. Three years later, I have to say that that first album is a classic. And. I can't call this one a classic or any of that because it's like two days of listening to it so far. Mm-hmm. And I hate snap judgments like that. But, you know, it's it's pretty damn solid. What oh. about you, Chico? You check it out? I haven't heard it yet. But but I agree with you about giving stuff listens because the D'Angelo album was the last album that actually came out to this kind of fanfare. Yes. And upon the first listen, I kind of was like, oh, all this talk, you know, it's a little overrated or whatever. So a- it was really after the third or fourth and into and I've probably heard it about eight or nine times mm-hmm. now. And I definitely like it more and more with each listen. So maybe the same is true of the of the Kendrick Lamar. Or maybe it so. is an instant classic. But, yeah, I haven't seen this kind of uh, response, universal response, since the D'Angelo album. Yeah, definitely. No, it's definitely been getting a lot of hype and a lot of love. And I'm feeling it. 
And I, I love that you said that because a lot of people said the same thing about D'Angelo. They're like, it's whack on the first listen. And I'm like, dude, it's not an album that you can just judge off of one listen. Yeah. Right. I, I would almost say the people who jumped all over the D'Angelo album positively the first time they heard it, like they're as they got to be as wrong as the people who were anti it just because like I feel like they were just doing that because everybody was waiting 14 years for a new D'Angelo album. But yeah, I mean, my first my first response to that was like, "Wow, this is really good," but it sounds kind of like late Sly Stone, all that. But now I definitely he's he's, yeah. I he mean, it, it was worth fourteen a fourteen year wait. Hell yeah, mm. definitely. Thank God we didn't have to wait that long for Kendrick's new album though, right. for real. What else is going on in the geek world, <laughs> Tatiana? You over here shaking your head and laughing. What's not going on, man? It was like today was like wacky racers type day. Like anything crazy that could happen could happen today. Um, I know, Chico, you got a real good one for so, us. So, uh, yeah, last week there was a, a great uh, scientific story out of Africa. <laughs> South Africa. Uh, out of South Africa, but uh, is this uh, tech news with Tatiana early? <laughs> no, no, no. This no, is, this, this is, is not. This tech. is more like science fiction. <laughs> so a uh, a dude, uh, you know, here in America, people who get circumcised tend to do it when they're younger. In other countries, people wait to do it, and there's sort of a manhood ritual about it. And a guy got circumcised, and it was quote unquote botched, and he was left with one inch. Um, of his penis left, and so he got a he got a penis transplant. And apparently, this has happened before. And dudes who lose their penises in circumcision actually get ostracized, even though it's not their fault, because they can't have kids. And so it's sort of like, what what's the use to the anyway? This guy got <laughs> this is so painful. This guy got the first ever successful penis transplant in that it works. Uh, apparently, the Chinese have been trying to do penis transplants for a while. <laughs> I'm sure. And the Chinese, uh, the dudes, <laughs> the dudes who have been getting the transplants, their bodies have been rejecting them, or even if their bodies don't reject them, the penises don't work. So now they got face transplants. Well, they right. had face transplants successfully and, and other and body parts, and now and now they have penis transplants. Penis and so I feel like that's a very legitimate sci-fi story. So now people are gonna get like cyborg type. Well, and then there's penises. the whole question like our dudes who are born you know there is such a thing as a micro penis I've, I've read about it I wait so are people, not, so are people now going to like for that's, the, that's the question no no that's but see, the but see this could be dangerous because now y'all dudes y'all gonna be using this like cosmetically right right like, no it's true just, i mean i think you're right i think i mean it opens up a very very wide I mean, you array boobs, of questions exactly and that's the other thing i mean if women have been getting fake boobs and now women are getting fake asses it's t- you know <laughs> dudes, dudes are joining the yes Brazil is the only country where more women get fake asses than fake breasts that's that's an actual statistic mm-hmm. I believe it I believe it yeah. I mean I mean the the booty is I, highly regarded at, down there I've looked at Brazil before right um wow yeah so I'm just waiting for the, the porn version of this yeah well then and so yeah it was South African scientists it was an African dude and. Uh, here we are. I mean, this is a, this is a brand new era. I do feel like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot that's happened. The Kendrick Lamar album has been released, but as of a week ago, when we recorded our last show, there had not been a successful, successful penis, penis transplant, transplant. This and is now true. there has. Incidentally, also the dude was apparently sexually active before the circumcision. Okay, okay. So no, the point is, he knew what he would be missing. And there's actually a question of maybe he might have fought, he might not have fought as hard to get the actual transplant if he was still a virgin because he wouldn't have necessarily known what he was missing. Um, no, I think he would have figured it out one way or the right, other. Well, yeah, <laughs> what he was I missing. guess that's true. He just had to look down to see what he was missing, but you know what I mean. <laughs> 
Oh my we're so God. juvenile on this show. I'm sorry, y'all. No. I had to li- hear your story first right. because that that's actually incredible from a scientific standpoint. It is. I mean, it's a legitimate. There's a lot of working parts there. I, can, can, can we talk about something else pretty juvenile right, right. now then? Oh, like Darth I, Vader robbing a bank? I mean, I wasn't even going to go there, but you know, that, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even call that juvenile. But yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> when you see how he's dressed up, <laughs> you chose of all masks. Okay, so this past Monday, this guy in North Carolina decided to dress up in full, well, maybe not full, but he dressed up in a Dark Vader mask, the full mask, and covered his whole body. So he's wearing all black, like a regular black shirt, pants, but then has the gloves as well. So this guy is covered head to toe in black, straight up Darth Vader, successfully robbed the bank with a shoddy. And let me add on, the guy was 5'5", five five, so this wasn't no full-fledged tall Darth Vader. This was, this was a mini Vader. No, <laughs> it damn sure was a mini Vader, but that shotgun he was carrying was not mini size. No, that shit looked like it was half his size for real. I mean, shout out to dude. You know that that takes. I mean, that takes some. That takes some moxie. It takes something. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I would call it moxie, but that takes some guts. But one thing I wanted to point out: one of the news stations when they were talking about it, they were saying that the police or whoever gave a description of a five foot five black man. And then I said, wait a minute, how you know he's black if he's all covered up from head to toe? And people, witnesses would say that you couldn't tell what race he was. So he had like a like a. I guess he didn't have the voice modulator I mean, on. Maybe he sounded like James Earl Jones by himself. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would do it right there, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, use the force. You know, no, not right. use the force. Uh, <laughs> I am your father. You know, that's like, yeah, you're black. So he got. So you we know. have Darth Vader robbing banks, you know, people dying with Green Lantern costumes on. Like, what is next? Yeah, it, it's been quite interesting lately. Quite interesting. A lot of going on right now and a lot of anger in the world right now because Aquaman, well, not actually Aquaman. Jason Moa, also known as Cal Drogo. Yeah, because when I think Aquaman, it's always going to be Vinny Chase for me. I don't know about y'all. But Vinny Chase is my right, Aquaman. Yeah, wow. Did we ever actually see footage of him as Aquaman? Yes, oh, yes we did. You're right. Yes, Absolutely. you did. That, that's always been my question. Like, there, I wonder, was it an in joke on Entourage that you know he's like the worst actor ever? Because mm-hmm. whenever they show footage of his movies, right. that is he, was like, he was absolutely yeah. terrible. That is in Pablo joke. Escobar. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Completely in joke. But yeah, uh, Mr. Momoa decided to say. F. Marvel, when he signed a fan's poster. He signed a fan's autograph. Um, he was at Indiana Comic Con recently, and his, the fans were saying, you know, we want you to send a message to DC haters. Let them know what we about. You know, mm. they not ready for us. So he wrote in gold marker, gold sharpie, he wrote, fuck Marvel. LOL. I don't know if he wrote LOL. No, he didn't write <laughs> LOL. No, there was no LOL to soften that one up. That was straight up and no, down. No, he was straight, he was straight yeah. up. I mean, that's a message, you know. I mean, it, it's it's cute. You know, it's like, you know, DC doesn't have much going on right now. So anything, it's like, come on, man. You know, it's <laughs> it's one of them things like, you know, it's like the little, it's like after the bully done stomped on the kid, you know, and then, the you know, the bully's walking away and the kid's like, oh, fuck you. You know, it's like, <laughs> great. Your mama. Yeah, thanks, bro. You know, I'm going to really feel that one in the morning. Right, plus plus, it's Aquaman saying it. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> it's not like, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> not anyone of note right. saying right. it. Uh, and, and before we close out this intro, I also want to mention your homeboy, Don Lamont. Oh, no. Don Lamont, that's his new name, because apparently he can't pronounce nothing anyway. 
this guy decided, you know, when we were talking about last week with, about SAE and how they were saying all these racist chants. And then we were talking about the house mother who was singing that Trinidad James song. On our new segment, This Week in the N-Word. Thank you, sir. Well, apparently Don Lemmer, whoever, thought it was a great idea to bring on Trinidad James himself. We also had Mark Lamont Hill and one other person on the show. And let me just talk about how, how clean Trinidad James' press was, though. Amazing. I mean, like, it was laid. It was like Dej Loaf status. Like, it was better than Dej Loaf. Yes. He was messing with um Drew Down. Damn. You know, all the classic Cali gangsters. I, you know, and, and I was surprised of how, like, like he, like, you, you had mentioned that we didn't know that he was, like, I guess because of the song, you know, how really well spoken and intelligent he is. Yeah. I knew. I I always know he's intelligent, but, like, just to, like, I don't, you know, a lot of times you don't realize when people are putting on an act. Versus when they're really speaking how they always speak. And and we watched most of it. And he was, like, trying to, I guess, defend himself. Because people saying he was defending the mother, the house mother, for saying the N-word. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, no, it's just a song. So I'm, I'm not going to tell people they can't say it. It's, and it's part of the song. You know, I'm not even going to go into this right now. Because this would turn into such a large, <laughs> long, you know, discussion. And we'll have to do that on another Fan Bro show. But... Um, speaking of, you know, rappers and Kendrick Lamar has a song on his album that addresses this whole topic about mm. the N word. So check that out. You know, we'll get back to that. We'll talk about this maybe next week after everyone listens to this Kendrick. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about Don Lamont <laughs> and Trinidad <laughs> Lady James out there. We'll be right back with more Fan Bros Show. This is DJ Maceo, a.k.a. Dr. Spock. This is Jojo from Trendsetters. You know what it is. It's your boy, Young Guru, a.k.a. The Beast, a.k.a. Hank McCoy, a.k.a. Not a Brahma. Hey, yo, 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 this is Foul Munch. Oh, hey, this is your friendly neighborhood superhero, Gene Gray. What's up? This is Spike Lee from the Republic of Brooklyn, New York. This is Juno Diaz. Hey, yo, 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 what up? It's Prodigy from the infamous Mob Deep, man, the H-N-I-C. You know what I'm saying? This is Anthony Frazier from the Fat Startup. This is Axel Alonso, editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. Yo, this is Carly Hustle, and when I'm not taking over the world, I'm listening to fanbros.com. And welcome back, Fan Bros, to this hot episode of Fan Bros Show. We have the most special guest tonight for you. Coming live from the Midwest, we have one of the voices, the youngest voices of the Ferguson movement, uh, social media activist. Everyone knows him. Ladies and gentlemen, D. Ray McKenzie. Everybody. What's good, man? How you doing? Welcome to Ambrose. I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, I'm tired. This has been the shooting just happened, so we have just sort of gotten out of having to explain that to everybody. But, okay. um, but I'm good. Now, Duray, I said previously that everybody knows you, but there may still be some people who don't really know who you are as Duray the man. Can you give the listeners a little bit of who you are? Yes, I'm a, I'm a protester uh, here in St. Louis. Um, I just moved to St. Louis in August. I lived in Minneapolis and. Uh, Mike was killed on um, on August 9th, and on August 16th, I was sitting on my couch. I saw what was happening on Twitter on the news, and I just felt like I needed to come. So I got in the car, drove nine hours, didn't know anybody in the state of Missouri, and that began my my time protesting. So since then, um, I documented a lot of what I saw on Twitter, and I've u- helped use Twitter as like a as a mechanism to 
organized people and tell the story of what was happening and also the Ferguson protester newsletter. So about 15,000 people get a newsletter that we send out that tracks the news about what's happening around social justice, particularly around police brutality. Okay, now you said you were from, the, you're from the Midwest originally. I'm from Baltimore. Baltimore is like home home, oh, but oh, I like okay, lived okay. in Minneapolis uh, before I lived in St. Louis. What part of Baltimore? Uh, are you familiar with the city? Oh, I'm yeah, from... man. I went to Howard. I'm D.C. down. Oh, Howard. nice. I'm yeah. from, uh, I like, we grew up in Walbrook, like the Walbrook Junction area, like Poplar Grove and Pressbury. Okay. Um, originally, and then we moved to Catonsville, which is in the county from 6th mm. to 12th grade. Nice, nice. So, well, right, so you went from Baltimore to the Midwest. How was the difference? Like growing up in Baltimore, you definitely, you know, was, you know, as everyone knows, Baltimore is a very black city. And then you <laughs> went to the Midwest where it's not as diverse. So how was it out there? It's interesting, right? So in, um, so I work for school systems. I work for, I have worked for three school systems. I taught in New York City, worked um, as the number two human capital in Baltimore City Public Schools. We had about 200 schools. Got recruited to go to Minneapolis um, and we had about 70 schools. And it's interesting because the city is not particularly diverse, not as diverse as places like Baltimore, but the uh, school system was, right? So the school system was about 70% people of color and 30% uh, white, whereas the city was the exact inverse. Um, So definitely a different space. It was the first time I'd ever been in a city where kids were doing really poorly, but the city was wealthy um, because that's just not the narrative of New York. It's not the narrative of Baltimore. Um, but it was in Minneapolis, which is very different. It's also not the narrative of St. Louis. So prior to you um, being a protester and an activist, you actually worked as a teacher, if I'm not mistaken, um, sixth grade teacher. And I know you worked in the Baltimore County school system as well. Do you miss that, like being with the children and, and doing that whole teacher thing? Or is it just something that you think you've kind of transcended in a way because you're still a teacher? Yeah, you know, I taught from 2007 to 2009 in, in New York, and then I worked as a like an, a senior level administrator in, in two school systems afterwards. Um, I, I miss out. Teaching will always be the hardest thing I've ever done. The best thing I'll ever do. The most important work I'll ever do will be will have been ta- teaching, and I and I plan to go back to the classroom at some point. Um, you know, there's this interesting thing that happened when Mike died. Was like. All the work that I do, you know, I lead, I used to lead like finding teachers and, and managing adults in school systems. And all of that work was really important, but it, it didn't matter if like the kids were killed before they came to class, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so this idea that you have to be alive to learn is why I left teach, is why I left the classroom and why I left sort of working in school systems to do this work as a protester. Right. And has any of your experiences, have you carried any of that teaching experience over to your real world um, activism? Oh, I would push you and say that like teaching was real world, right? And yes. like working at school systems is real world. You know, in, in terms of this phase of activism, yes, I think I like have a deeper understanding of systems than I used to um, and how systems work because it was my job to like, to be, I like administered the contract, the teacher's contract and our other employee contracts on behalf of the district, right? So like I, that sort of world I understand. And then it also gave me like an infinite level of patience um, so, you know, I used to have to tell people like today's your last day, you won't be an employee with us or deliver a host of other tough messages in my professional career. And then as a teacher, you know, I was like 11 year olds all day. It was like 30, 11 year olds in, in three classes, um, which made me really patient. So when I think about being out there with the police and they're like going haywire, I can sort of find my calm spot and like manage my emotions in a way that I would not have been able to do if I had not been an educator. Okay, that brings up another question. How does it feel to have gone from like, you know, being a teacher with Twitter on Twitter, you had like 800 or so followers to now 60,000 plus? 
73. Okay. <laughs> Humble brag. It's my, no, I'm just, I'm all about truth, right? Just keep it sure honest. Indeed. Um, is, you know, it's, it's definitely, it, it was overnight, right? Like I didn't, I didn't put like an ad up being like, please follow me on Twitter. I was just telling the story, right. um, of what happened. It, it's interesting. It's made me much more thoughtful about what I say. I think about some, some moments I said once, like we will not be crippled by fear and people lost it. Right. Like the, dis- the disability community was like, Dre, that's not oh, how you're supposed right. to talk about being crippled. They're trying right? to say ableism now. Yeah. Right. Oh, it was like huge. And, and one night I said, you know, we are not anarchists. There's enough chaos and blackness already in the anarchists. I probably spent three days like sort of making yeah. amends with the anarchist community. Um, so, so it's made me much more thoughtful about like the words I use in that sort of play and even um, sort of the articles I post, like making sure that I can defend everything, every article I read, I can like defend. So no, no just blind retweets. I also talk a lot less about my actual life, right? So I don't talk about my sister. I don't really talk about my niece and nephew. I don't really talk about my father um, because there are enough people who like actually hate me, right? So I've blocked about 11,200 accounts. Wow. I get death threats. Um, the police know me well enough. And then there are people who um, who also don't necessarily love my visibility, right? So, so it's definitely shifted the way that I express myself uh, about the more personal and intimate things. Okay, now how do you keep your sanity then? How do you deal with it? Like, yeah, do you feel like you like you just said you can't just talk about your personal life anymore? I know that like one day I, I we were talking about this earlier. One day you tweeted something about Nike, and I was like, wow, DeRay's talking about Nike, and it's like. You know, I just didn't expect it from you, but I know you want to be human. So how do you deal with it? Like keeping your sanity and being this public figure now? Yeah, it's interesting. So actually, I, I like still tweet about it, but I do it in these like back channel ways. Right. So anytime that I ever tweet, one that I do often is uh, to not let the weight of your secrets bury your gifts. Right. It's like it all that always means something really specific to me in my personal life. But I like and I need to talk about it, but I'll put it out there and it'll look like some quote about something else, right? Um, so normally I just find different ways to talk about it as opposed to being like, this just happened and this is how I feel, which is how I'd probably say it to a friend. I just like put it out in like a back channel way or I'll like find a quote that talks about it and then tweet it because Twitter for me is really like a way for me to process the world. When I first came to Missouri, remember like I literally knew nobody, not like I sort of had friends. I like knew no one. Mm. So I tweeted all the time because like I, I needed to process what was happening to me. And this was like a way to process it. And because I'm, I've been in a city and now I'm in a city where like my, my friends who loved me and who cared about me before August, like they aren't here. Right. So, so Twitter has always been like this way for me to process. So when I can't just say like, you know, like I tweeted the other day, like I really like mashed potatoes. Right. <laughs> and then, and then people are like, you know, it was, that was funny. Um, but I, don't, I, I, I rarely sort of do those things or like, you know, one day I tweeted about McDonald's and people are like, direct, you know, we, we expect you to eat better than that. And it's like, y'all are just, <laughs> Come on, right? it's just I can't win. Right. So it's easier to just be like, stop killing black people. Cause you know, that is, right. I, I can completely stand behind that. So I, you know, and this actually might sound a little funny, but like, are you just tired? Like I would think to not only like just combat like the trolls, like you said, you have, you blocked 11,000 people, but then you're also having to re- be very thoughtful about what you say about pretty much everything. Even the regular stuff you're saying, people will maybe question it. Then, I mean, you have yourself personally just fighting for the cause. You're always moving, always doing, always in action. Do you ever come to a point where you're like, this is too much or this too much? Yeah, you know, um, 
this work around fighting for black people like can't ever be too much right living mm. living in this world is is too much some days right mm, so the fight like i can't the fight is hard it is rough but it is the work um and i think choosing to be on this side of the fight means that like you understand that sometimes the pain will be something that you feel but you got to figure out how to move through it in a way that doesn't damage you um and that doesn't diminish the impact of the trauma but also like allows you your sanity right so i get that um there is this part too where like you know as an adult i have to like own my choices right i chose to quit and like i'm unemployed i need to figure out what i'm going to do and i like chose to commit to this work differently um but it is exhausting right i think about the many nights that we we were up to like four o'clock in the morning or like the nights that i slept in the car because it was just easier than driving back to somewhere else um or like, you know, now it scares me sometimes how we just, we don't get afraid, right? When the shooting happened, like, like you know, no, I had no adrenaline rush. It was sort of like, and they're gunshots, right? Mm. It just, because it's happened before. Um, we we were all scared when we saw the police officer got shot because we were like, oh God, they might kill us all right now. Like that actually scared us, but the shots itself were like, well, we've heard gunshots before. Um, so that I think is like an interesting that worries me sometimes. Like, what does it what does it mean to be so used to trauma and so close to it that you get desensitized in a radical way? Um, like, I'm not convinced that that's like a healthy way to be in the world, but it is what it is, not just for me, but for many people. And that is exhausting. You you mentioned earlier that the police know you. You said you you were saying yeah, the police know me. Is that in a good way or a bad way? Like, are they? aiming their tear gas canisters, you know, at you? Or are they like, no, don't shoot at him because that's DeRay. We know him. You know what I mean? Like, they, they obviously... They don't want to make you a martyr. Well, right. or, or, no, or even just they deal with you every day and you're a face that they recognize. Or is it they're a, that you're a face that they recognize and they want to do, you know, they, they have ill will. Like, when I'm just asking, you know, when you said, yeah, the police know me, I didn't, I didn't know how to read that. Like, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Yeah, good question. Um... You know, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a good thing. I, hmm, how will I talk about this? Is we get followed, right? So, you know, I can think of some times that Ned and I went to Walmart once, and they thought we were shutting down the Walmart. Right, you so and Janetta Elsie, right? Yep, me okay. and me and Netta, yep, me and Janetta Elsie. We walk into Walmart. Like the moment we walk in, it's two uh, uniformed officers start following us, and they're not like they're not discreet about it. Like they are just following us, right? And I I'm sort of a. That. Right. And I'm sort of like, okay, with it, right? Like I get that you will put police are police. We're protesting. You're nervous, like whatever. And I don't get worked up by it. And that was really upset. So we're tweeting, like they're following us. We're taking vines, whatever we do that. Then we, and then they leave. Um, but it's interesting, right? Because, because people see us tweet it, the pro, some protesters start coming to the Walmart to actually shut it down. And we're right. like, no, y'all, like we are not, we really aren't shutting down this Walmart right now. And then the newspaper comes cause they're like, what's happening. So when we get to checkout, the sergeant in charge, he comes up to me and he's like, are you DeRay? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, he wants a photo. He wants me to like tweet a photo of him. And you're like, okay, this is crazy. Um, and then they send 60 more officers in a Humvee to the Walmart because yeah. we were there. Right. See, now I follow both you and Netta and has been following pretty much since the beginning of all of this. So I've actually, you know, through your vines and through your tweets have, have lived alongside of with you from afar, that whole thing. And, I don't know if my my attitude could could handle that. And I, you know, I want to commend the fact that you can't at least at that point didn't have the freedom to just walk in a Walmart and just mind your business. Like just like Janetta, she had an issue where she was in a mall and was being followed. 
And right. even people like, um, I know Awkward Duck, she had police outside of her building in New York. So I, like I said, I, I commend you for being able to, to, to just be one with yourself and, and understand how to conduct yourself in that situation because that, amongst other things, is completely unfair. Yeah. And, you know, we, I remember the last time I was afraid for my life, right? Like it was, it was early in August and it was, uh, the police in August, like didn't really get out of there. They were like always near vehicles. And then all of a sudden they weren't right. Like I remember when it was like, they were always near cars and then all of a sudden they're on foot and it was like a whole different, and they like stormed the crowd. And I remember running, um, and it was like, I might die. Right. Like, this is crazy. And I remember going home being like, I just can't, that, that's too much. Right. Like fear takes up too much space. And in blackness, we we there's always varying degrees of fear. Like we we live in a state where we're like we are under siege in in many ways. And I was like, I just can't be this afraid. Like this is unhealthy. And and I like let that go. Um, but I used to, you know, I remember in August, in September, I used to keep these tweets in my drafts that said, I love you to my father and my sister and my niece and my nephew and my best friend. Cause if I got killed, like I wanted them to know. Right. And I remember writing them. I would write them like every time before we would go out. And I remember when, when Von Derek got killed, who's the third person got killed since August. Um, I was in Minneapolis and Netta, like out of the blue, she just texts me all her passwords. Like mm. my phone starts buzzing and it's like Google, Facebook, Twitter, all her passwords, no message. And like, I remember that feeling, right? Of like, she thinks she might die tonight. Like that is crazy to me. Um, and, and, and that was just so much trauma to like ingest. Um, but there was this moment of like, we just can't be afraid, right? We, people want us to live in fear. They want us to be too afraid to, to be a part of this fight. And like, we just can't do that. And not that I, I like don't want to die, right? Like dying is not my goal, but I also don't want to live in a world where my blackness equals death. Right. And like, there's a tension in that, that we have to negotiate every day. Uh, but fear just takes up too much space for us to be able to do the work well. Thank you for taking the time to talk about that. I know also to, to kind of go into those deep understandings of, of how you feel i know that's not necessarily easy for everyone so we do appreciate it yeah and this is the work right that like yeah. we have to figure out how to um for so long our stories have been erased or either either the story has been erased or other people have told it for us right and in in neither of those situations do we win right um right so trying to figure out like how we how we become our storytellers that in ways that don't replicate the pain or trauma i agree with you and you know it's just very, mm. I'm just thinking about when you said that she, she sent the passwords to you, just like, I'm a tech person. So for like, that is a big deal. That's like, that's literally, that's the digital version of each other. That's your life to say, you know what, here it is, because I don't know if I'm going to be able to be here. Like, and it was like, no, no, no. It was like, and she didn't, she didn't warn you. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Netta? And it was like passwords. And it was like, okay. Like I, and it was like, I trust you, right? Like, I, she was like, I trust you, DeRay. And I'm like, I love you, Netta. Like, be safe, right? And I'm and I'm tweeting about it, like, trying to connect all the dots because I wasn't there, but trying to make sure people understood the story. But it was like this thing of, like, I hope she lives, um, mm. which I, is I, I, I crazy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to say after mm. that. Your fan bros out there, we got a huge episode ahead. We're not finished for De- with DeRay, but we're going to take a quick break right here, and we'll be right back with more fan bros. Yo, internet world, what's good? I go by the name of Jabari, and first off, if you're at a computer, even if you're on your phone, I don't care where you're at right now, if you have internet, you need to do a few things. You need to like Fan Bros on Facebook. You need to follow Fan Bros on SoundCloud. What else do you need to do? Subscribe, you need to subscribe 
on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes and give a good rating. Don't just subscribe. Give a good rating, man. Word. All leave right? a comment. Five stars, comments, all that there. Word up. Thanks, Jabari. And welcome back to this powerful episode of Fan Bro Show. We are here with DeRay McKesson. And DeRay, I have another well, comment and question for you. So last week, and it was kind of a funny joke, but we introed a new segment on our show that was called This Week in the N-Word. And it's, like I said, it's kind of just weird that that's the title. But the reason why we did that is because it just seemed like, and it, it's kind of like this since we've been here on this earth, but every week there's something else going on with some racist group or someone getting caught saying some crazy stuff. And when we debuted that segment, it was, um, we were discussing the problematic SAE fraternity. And I wanted to make the point that comedy born out of pain is very typical, um, especially of our community. And it's a very typical mechanism to kind of resolve the daily injustices that we face. So, I mean, do you think that there is like really an end in sight to all of this. And I ask you that because on a recent episode with, that we had with ta Coates, he said, uh, so himself, that racism, he felt that racism would never end. Do you feel um, a similar way? Do you think that perhaps racism will evolve to something else? Or what are your thoughts? So let me say I love Coates. Um, yes. Yes. We do too. <laughs> I love him. I struggle with Coates' uh, relationship to hope. Um, because he just doesn't have one. He does right? not. I've, I, I've known him for years, brother. Like I've known him for like uh, maybe twenty years now, and he's always been like this. So don't don't struggle with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, just, I do struggle with it. I like don't you know, and I like That's just pre- his thing. I think that like his he, because there is no hope. It allows uh, <laughs> the it allows his critique of white supremacy to just be so strong, right? Because it's not it just isn't weighed down by this belief in better. Mm. Um, I just don't think that's a way to live, right? So you're so saying I, you do have hope that... Yeah, that I, I think that we can't... Even if I, like, didn't deep down, like, I can't... I, we must plan from a place of hope, right? Like, hope is this, this belief that, like, tomorrow can be better than today. And if I didn't believe that, there's no way I put my body on the line for the work, right? Like, mm. I, that just doesn't make sense to me. So I do think that we can get to a place, especially because the way demographics are going to be soon, is that people of color will be the majority in a way that will be... Um, will be significant. I think there's a way that we can we can get to a place where where the impact of racism and white supremacy like aren't strong. They don't have sway anymore. I think we can we can change the narrative. Um, and I think that like that belief is central to the fight. That like if if we don't believe that our tomorrows can be better than our today's, then I don't know why people fight. So you know what you saying that the people there's people and there's groups and even now companies that claim that they want a better tomorrow and they want to open up the dialogue and 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 make things better make things more positive recently (laughs) starbucks decided to do this race together hashtag initiative basically where they're encouraging their baristas to actually have race relation type questions with the customers what yes i missed this yes and this actually happened what yesterday or or it, it became a big thing on twitter yesterday and i don't know if you're familiar with this deray but um and apparently this now this hashtag is kind of running away from starbucks because people are saying <laughs> uh, duh. you know well you know your own ex- executive as ceo whoever can't really speak about race but then you want a 16 year old barista to do that <laughs> with <laughs> You know what I mean with regular people. So I mean, do you like? Do you think that organizations such as major companies can really 
have this discussion with people in a, in a serious manner? Like, do you think that's part of the whole hope and change initiative or, or do you think that's just, I mean, what do you think about that? It's interesting. You know, today what happened with, um, with Starbucks is that their senior vice president like deleted his Twitter when people went back to the guy in charge of communications. All right. Um, Which is hilarious. You're in communications and you deleted Twitter. Because he knew that was crazy. I mean, like, you know, who goes to Starbucks to have like a deep conversation about race? Right. That's my coffee, dude. Here's your your latte. By the way, you know, we need reparations and blah, blah, blah. Like, whoa. (laughs) It was the hashtag. Like, it was like new Starbucks drinks was pretty great. Like, my only, I only had one and it was Frap Queen. And I was like, that. I thought I I did well. Um, You know, I think it's interesting, right? That people essentially want, I think a lot of organizations want credit for it. As mm-hmm. opposed to actually tr- trying to figure out how to do the work, Starbucks could do a million things mm-hmm. around race that don't include their cups, their logo, or their baristas, um, either with their money or programs. Or like, th- there are other ways to be in the work than than like doing it so publicly. And I wish that people like would venture to do those things. Or you know, Starbucks could could be a forerunner in cities across the country with a living wage. Right? Mm-hmm. Starbucks could use their weight to do so much. And so could Apple and those sort of things that weren't like gimmicks. And I, I'm interested in in how people will like start to leverage power that way if they will at all. The funniest thing is Starbucks straight up and down rapes Africa every day <laughs> and they want to have conversations on race. Uh, people kill me out here. And speaking of people killing me, how do you feel about the all lives matter, the not all white people <laughs> hashtags? Basically, these derailing hashtags that also co-opt real movements uh, to to me, speak about nothing or speak in circles because I. Uh, what do you think about all lives matter? Yeah, so two things. One, I'd push you um, on like the you really you used rape really casually there with regards oh, to Africa man, in a way that like is you know problematic. And this is this whole idea of like you know we're truthful always or never, right? True so indeed. Just want to name that. Um, and the second is so like how do around... you say that? How do you how do you describe the... pillage? Pillage. 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 Yeah. Pillage. pillage. Okay, there we go. Pillaging yeah. Africa every day. So yeah. so. <laughs> Apologies plundering. Apologies Here's a call. Yeah, plundering is better than pillaging. Plundering. There we go. I like that too. Um, and in terms, what was the second part of the question? I got so just just, just what? Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, oh, all lives matter. Yeah. Oh, you, all it's like it's in, white people are used to being the center of every narrative, right? Like they, so so what we see is people, sh- white people struggle when they aren't the center of everything, and that's what all lives matter is, right? It's like they aren't the center of Black Lives Matter. They aren't, right? Black people are. And, and they struggle in that space. Like they don't know how to exist in a context or whiteness is not always centered. Mm-hmm. So we see all lives matter or we see not all white people or we see not all cops or whatever. Um, and that's what that is. And, and I think I'm fascinated by the ways that that replicates itself, by like the ways that white people continue to force themselves as part of the narrative. And Coates is really interesting in this, in this vein, right? Because what he says is, that like our burden is never the emotions of white people. Our burden is always only justice and, and freedom, um, which mm-hmm. is like a different way to talk about the work. Absolutely. I, I agree with that one 100%. So th- there's been a lot of misinformation or, you know, sto- the story getting twisted by the media. You know, I, I was watching Harry Srinivasan on the PBS NewsHour, to- and he called Akai Gurley a, sp- a suspect. He was not a suspect in anything. Where where can people go who are listening to this show or just in general? T- where would you send people as a source besides yourself for what's going on, you know, on the ground in Ferguson, but in the movement larger? Um 
because I've found, I've been very disappointed by things like Al Jazeera or MSNBC, which are purported to be left of center and have, you know, broadcasters of color. And yet I'm not seeing the same story out of there as I am on Twitter or reading Sean King on Daily Kos, like that sort of thing. Could you just tell maybe tell people a couple of places that you think are trusted sources for what's going on? I mean, yourself included, but besides yourself? Yes, I think there have been a, a set of reporters who have, even though we have not always agreed, they've done really good work. I think that Mike Hayes at Buzz, BuzzFeed has been really strong. The Root is like a whole new publication. I don't know what happened to The Root, but they were awful. And now yeah. they're like, so no, I agree great. with you. I agree with you. Something, <laughs> I mean, the root something happened. Happened the root and like, was a mess. yes. Black and thought flowered. Like, <laughs> yes. Amazing. I mean, like, they are like, I, you know, I tweet about it all the time The Root, you win. Like, you got it. Nice. Um, the Guardian has only done one article that's pissed me off, and that was about Giuliani, but everything else, they're, all of their stuff about police brutality has been like a game changer there's like phenomenal stories they are the the guardian broke the um the secret prison in chicago they were the first people to write about one of the deaths oh, here God. like just really strong writing um and then in individual reporters i think of um wesley lowry at the at the post at the washington post um matt pierce at the la times has been really strong ryan riley at the huffington post and what's important about those people in yamish at usa today is that they like understand the context of police they just know that the weeds of the questions so when they write these articles and i'll put my case he just did a really phenomenal piece on um on one of the tony robinson i think and he had a his piece on ezel ford's autopsy was just phenomenal um, they just know how to ask the questions really well. So when their reporting actually like not only tells you the truth, but like builds your capacity. So you just understand the work a little better. You understand the details better. So I'd put those people out there. Those news sources is, is credible. And Sean King, you know, we love Sean King. Sean King has been a great advocate. Um, and he's been telling stories that have not been told publicly for a long time, at least since August. That was actually how I discovered you was actually through Sean, following Sean yeah. King. So Oh, yeah. that's he's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I love Sean. All right. Uh, speaking of, I mean, you were just speaking of great reporting. And today I read this article on the WashingtonPost.com. I'm not even going to big up the author's name, but he was talking about how the Justice Department report just came out. And they're saying that the hands up, that Mike Brown was probably not with his hands up. And so the whole hands up, don't shoot is kind of a myth. And this guy was like apologizing for it. And I went off on him on Twitter immediately because I'm like, yo, there's so many other things. There's so many other untruths that you could have uncovered and apologize or not even apologize for. Like you can ask the oppressors about untruths before we start being like, oh, I'm sorry. The hands up wasn't true in this one case. So how do you feel about this Justice Department report? Go Cape Hart. You know, he we struggle with him. His reporting is is weak. Okay, um, yeah, I didn't even want to say his name. And that article was poor. But you know, the two report, the report about the Ferguson Police Department is black people didn't need that report to know that that was true, right? Lived reality confirmed the findings in that report before the D Department of Justice ever came here. Right. But but it also but the report is true, right? So I can't. I'm like on the side of truth. Whoever's telling it, and it is true. So. You know, it's interesting now. I feel a little bit different about it now than I did when it first came out because what's interesting now is that the report has given the media so much more cover to just be harder with the government because there were people who stood with us and who stood on who like sort of believed this narrative that the protesters are telling in August and they got slammed by their their peers and their publications and now those same people are being like awarded in light of the DOJ report and that's that is good for the movement. 
Um, so like in that way, I really like that report. And um, the report about Mike Brown, you know, the way I feel about it is I'm still waiting for the trial. So like, oh, you know, if the Department of Justice wrote these reports on everybody who got killed in America, like they'd have a finding that might not actually be what the trial. And I'm all about a jury of peers, like give me the 12 people and let's have some people go back and forth about evidence and then see what happens. And like the Department of Justice just didn't, you know, they aren't, they were holding him to the standard of a civil rights violation and not like murder as he should have been. So I'm still ready for the trial. So I think Capehart and there are many people like him who, two things. One, they don't realize that they are that they are subtly participating in our own oppression, right? That they are that they're replicating these stories that lambast black people and they don't understand that that's actually what they're doing. And the second is that like, you know, it's another example of how we commodify black pain and black struggle. So Capehart, you know, the report has been out for a while. This report he he comes out and he does this apology for the movement essentially. And then today he tweets it's the hardest thing he's ever yeah. written. Right, which is which is literally like you are exploiting oh black pain yeah, like, and like centering yourself. Such an ass. <laughs> Such a. I mean, I mean, Ben, I mean, is very angry right now, and I understand. I feel like I can't, like, all I my defense mechanism is to laugh because this is like so hard for me to deal with, like mentally. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, you know, obviously, with all of this, you have people, um, right that accuse things like the Black Lives Matter movement of um, being terrorists. I saw a YouTube video on you that was absolute comedy. Yeah. On oh, me? Yes. I'm you I'm sure you know that don't Google you know your or name. don't he I think he knows <laughs> <laughs> that you know or maybe you don't know about how much vitriol is out there. You know, whether videos or, or or images or whatever the case may be, like you said, you, you have people you have to block because because people are, are, are threatening your life. So to me, you know, a lot of this stuff, it, it, it's very irrational, one. It's very irrational. Types of um, responses that, that even just words, your words get, like, are it's just beyond my comprehension sometimes. Like, how could you, I guess logic doesn't come into play here. So, you know, how do you, how do you deal with, with that? Besides, you know, just outright blocking people, but how do you deal with that? I didn't know there was a video. That is. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, is it. it's, it's comedy. They call you a terrorist. Oh, God. Yeah. And they say the Black Lives Matter people are terrorists. I mean, and and they're saying stuff like this also because then you have things like um, offshoots, like Black Brunch, where you have uh, protesters going into brunch, well, especially in New York, but typical brunch spots where um, they are just basically telling them, you know, pay attention to the movement. They're going into spaces where people may have insulated themselves from everything going on around them. So we're bringing the situation to them to let them know, hey, this is what it's about. So all that being said, how do you deal with with these people, <laughs> those people? <laughs> how do you deal yeah, with it? You know, I'm, I'm thankful to be around people who love me. Right. Yes. And, and I have a, a family that loves me and, and some really great friends that I can um, that I can go to. And I have like thick skin. I think about, um, you know, I was in student government from sixth grade through the end of college and in those sort of roles. So I'm used to sort of not necessarily having a ton of privacy in peer groups. Um, mm. So so that prepared me. Yeah, and I, and I like know that we're on the right side of justice, right? I don't ever wake up being like, oh, I don't think I'm doing the right thing. Like I'm, I'm confident that we're in the right. And I know that I've not done anything wrong, right? And that the movement itself has not. So I like, to- again, it goes back to this, like white people are used to being at the center of everything. So when people, you know, they would email my, the board of education in Minneapolis would get like 30 emails a day. They had, they got so many complaints about me that the, 
that they had a stock response that they had to send out to people that complained about me, right? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy because like I didn't do anything. Um, so I so I take it in stride. You know, I I know that there's like a lot of hate out there. I also know that there are a lot of people who've been awakened by what's happened in Ferguson and like see race differently now because of it. And Twitter is interesting because I, I do think that what we've been able to do, and I use we broadly as like all the people who tweet specifically, is that we've, we've been able to like help each other get new language to talk about race. Like normally these conversations about race either happen in like boardrooms and foundations and stuff or these really academic middle class spaces. Yeah. And what Twitter allowed is that it flattened the space, right? So everybody is participating in a conversation about Starbucks and we get to do it in a fun way that's like culturally black, right? Yes. So we can create the hashtag about new Starbucks drinks, which is like such a a way to like deal with the oppression and pain in a way that's also cool, right? Which is like, which Comedy is blackness, yeah. right? So, so I'm excited about uh, being in those spaces. But yeah, I, I don't, I had to give up, this goes back to that, I had to give up the fear a long time ago because it just, it would overwhelm you, you know? It just was, it'd be too much. So like, I remember when the cops ran after my car to get my license plate number or like those sort of things. And and it's just like, I can't, if I only focused on them, I'd never be able to do anything. I'd be paralyzed. All right. Well, this is Fanbro's show and we're the voice of the urban geek. And we've done a lot of talking about the urban side, but we haven't really got into your geek side too much. And you told me something crazy today that you're an avid book reader. You have over 600, you own over 600 books. Like physical copies of books? Yeah, I love books. It's like a, mm. yeah, I own like 600, 650 books. I travel with about 350 to 400 when I move places. I was just going to say, um, you take it all with you. Wow. I know, literally, it's like clothes and books. Like that is like. You don't believe my, e-readers? My earthly possessions. Uh, I think there's just something magical about books and the written word. Yeah. Right? I, and I, so I do, I'm reading Bayard Rustin's book on my iPad just because. It's his birthday know. today. Happy birthday, it, it, Bayard Rustin. It is his birthday today. He's such a great story. Um, it's been interesting to learn about him. But yeah, so that's the only ebook, and I'm trying to do it. It is, um, it's hard. I'm, and I just started reading All the Light We Cannot See, which apparently is a great book. Um, I haven't read as much since since the protest started because, you know, I'm, I'm, I used to, I was working all day and then I was protesting, and those are the only two things I did, so. Okay, well, if you had two books that you would recommend to the fan bros, which ones would they be? Oh, there's so many good books. Um, I'm trying to go books that I like will never forget. There is, um, I thought the history of love by Nicole Krause. Um, so we're not talking about like black center books that like can help you in struggle. I'll give you like two sets. (laughs) (laughs) They can be anything. Nicole Krause. Um, she wrote the history of love. Um, and she's married to Jonathan Saffron Frohr, who wrote Everything is Illuminated and Incredibly Loud and Extremely Close, which mm. is a lot of people know those two books. Yep. But her book um, is not only phenomenal writing and the way she sort of, it's fiction and she does this sort of his, like literally like a history of love, like love before words. Um, but the way she uses the, I don't know if you've read his books, her husband's, but they both use the pages of the text to also tell a story in a way that is, if you've not experienced it, just an important thing to experience in literature. Just like very good. Um, and then The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak, which is like on the cusp of young adult and literary fiction. Um, it's, this, it's this book and death is the narrator. It just is like a beautiful, like wonderfully written, very different book. Um, and the third, I know you said two, is Tiger Lily. Do you know who Tiger Lily is? Do any of you know who Tiger Lily is? The name. The name strikes me as yeah. familiar. So she is the person that Peter Pan fell in love with before Wendy. 
She's, she's the, the Native American princess oh, on, yes, on, on yes. Uh, the island of the Lost Boys. Or, right. She's not she really Native. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Look at you. No. So she's <laughs> not really Native American in the story, but yes, yeah, she is. Right. She is like the the Native uh, person in Neverland who who Peter Pan filmed oh, with first. No, and there's a book that is that is the retelling of Peter Pan from her perspective. Wow. And it is in like oh, an unbelievably powerful book. Wow. Um, and it's like heartbreaking and beautiful, and you appreciate Peter more. You appreciate. You definitely love Tiger Lily. You don't super love Wendy, um, but the way they, the way the author writes the book is just um, unforgettable. Just like a powerful, powerful book. What's the name um, of that one again? It's called Tiger Lily. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and so, it's fairly recent. Like it came out in the past couple of years. So speaking of very powerful writers, um, we uh, always talk about Shonda Rhimes on this show, and one of uh, Fan Bro's shows actually Scandal. Are you are you a Scandal fan? I am a Scandal fan. Awesome. So um, I know that you, you must have seen the recent episode with um, when basically she mirrored the whole uh, Black Lives Matter movement um, with the episode with the gentleman whose um, son was shot in the street in D.C. Um, and, you know, even if you haven't seen it, and then this is goes for all of the listeners, but even if you haven't seen it, like Shauna has trying to put people of color on a grander scale. Um, than they have been, I, I, I feel, than they really have been previously. Um, so, you know, DeRay, do you feel that people of color should take a stand and speak up on what's happening on a large scale, such as um, a sitcom or a TV show or whatever the case may be? Like, Do you think that that is a powerful way of teaching or sharing information? Yeah, so like I, I did see the Shonda episode, the scandal episode. I thought it was great. A lot of people, not everybody, definitely it, people are split in the protest community whether whether they liked it or not. The protesters were very calm, which yeah. is <laughs> it was weird to me. It was a little surreal in in the way they were portrayed. Right, but I will say what was powerful about it is that like the Olivia Pope could not beat the people, right? And like right. that's an important message that the people were stronger than any of the systemic things that were thrown towards the people. And like Shonda subtly sort of gave us that. Yes. And people also like were really frustrated with the the guy, the police officer's speech at the end, um, and how it just sort of lingered, and there was no response. And I actually wasn't. I like I thought that was important, right? Because like white supremacy is irrational, and there's not a rational response to it. And like she didn't give it a rational, like she let the irrational hang out there, and I think yeah. that's actually really important. Yeah. Um, in terms of your your general question, yes, I think that representation matters, right? That we don't see ourselves, and we definitely don't see our stories, right? So even when we see our bodies, we see stories that put our bodies in conflict with struggle, and I think that that would be my critique of Scandal, right? We see the body of Olivia Pope in a story that is decidedly not showing us black love in any capacity. Like no healthy, loving black relationships. That's true. Not her parents, not her, not her like um, intimate life. Like we just, not her friends, right? Like we don't actually see blackness being complex in the show, though we do see black bodies. Um, the, I would say the most complex was the the episode with um, the uh, the woman from Two Two Seven. I forgot her her name, but she played the uh, mature black woman who was actually gay, and she was looking for her her um, partner. And I think that was the most comp besides Olivia herself. I think I thought that was maybe one of the only more complex um, uh, visuals of Black people. Right, and Black and like the complexity of Blackness should not be cameos, right? Right. That exactly. that is that that is often how we are treated in America, um, and that actually isn't like real life. That we actually like exist and people commodify our coolness all the time, but we don't actually get to participate in it. Like that's not okay. 
Indeed. Indeed. Well said. Well, DeRay, you survived the Fan Bro Show interview, and now it's time for our rapid fire segment, the Brap segment. Are you ready? Okay, I think I, you know, I, <laughs> I hope so. I hope I'm ready. Here we go. We, we, we're going to ease you into this because some of this stuff is some heavy geek stuff. So I'm going to start it off. Now, okay. you're, you're from Baltimore, so this might be easy or really hard for you. The Wire or Breaking Bad? The Wire. Of course. Of course. Uh, Fresh Prince or The Cosby Show? Ooh. Fresh Prince. All right. Cosby's gone off the rails. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> uh, Luke Cage or the Black Panther? I like the Black Panther. Of course. Magneto or Professor X? Oh, Professor X all day, every day, like <laughs> without question. Wow. You're very enthusiastic about that. We've gotten some lukewarm responses about him. Why are you so happy to, or why are you so quick to choose him? like the power of the mind right like we live what we believe yes and like professor x like embodies that and in magneto embodies this idea that like strength is power right mm. that like physical strength is power and like we know that not to be true um in terms of how like the world changes so so yeah i'm professor x all day every day i like it on the mary jane girls or mary jane watson I don't know who either. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Mary Jane Watson was Spider-Man's girlfriend. No, but who's the Mary Jane Mary Jane girls were uh, Rick James' uh, protégés all night oh long. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no clue. Was I even gosh. alive? Like, right. <laughs> were we even around? <laughs> right. Right. She all right. No clue. No all right. Clue. Yeah, no, my, my, my age is showing. Uh, Gary Coleman or Emmanuel Lewis? Mm, Gary Coleman. I don't feel strongly about this one. Uh, okay. Gary Coleman. <laughs> all right. Okay, here's one for you. Which fictional character death struck you the worst? Oh, fictional character death. Yeah, you've read about a book, so of all types. Oh, I'm trying to about who died. Can be TV, movies, yeah. anything. Um, I don't know. I'm blanking out here. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. All right, we'll get that one on Twitter then. Oh. Yeah, when Dumbledore died, it was sad, but he came back. So, like, didn't count. <laughs> you know, it's like. I'm trying to think about, and I'm like, a, you know, I cry when I read books, but I, I can't. Oh, there was, did you, have you read, um, Kali, uh, and the, what's the mountain and the mountains echoed by the guy who write the, wrote the kite runner? No. So there's like a death in the end and it was, it's a, it's a phenomenal book about siblings is like essentially what he's writing about and like love and all that stuff. Um, but the end when you know somebody's going to die was like, I just like sat in my car in front of Starbucks and just cried. Right. And I'll never forget it. <laughs> did a barista um, try to ask you how you were feeling? <laughs> it was, I was I like, I was like, you did a great, I like wanted to call him be like, you just did a great job. That was a great <laughs> book. Well done. All right. Uh, Peter Parker or Miles Morales? Peter Parker. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. I used to go to sleep yeah! to Star Trek. Yes, me too. I think Star. I think Star Wars is like a little weird in a way that's like not necessarily cool. But I totally love Star Wars fans. So anybody, please do not tweet me about Star Wars. Um, <gasps> Deray, we I, are you're about to catch it. Deray, bro. we're friends. Well, I mean, I, I don't mind people tweeting me about Star Wars. I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to get caught up by the you know the Star Wars <laughs> army, but. Yes. Yes. Finally. Remember, Star it was like Star Trek and uh, what was that show with Peter Bundy? Married with Children. Married with Children. Al, Al Bundy. Al Bundy. Al Bundy. Sorry, Peter Bundy. <laughs> Al Bundy. Yeah, that's what I feel I like they were always on TV. Like, yeah, late at night. Yes. Nice. 
All right. What's your favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Oh, okay. You can't take my black card on this, but I like don't got nothing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, Passenger, what, 57, 47, Blade. whatever? Blade? Blade. Nope. New Jet City? Mm, I don't even know if I've seen them. Damn. I know. You're the second person to say that, though, so, hey, it happens. The Expendables? Oh, <laughs> the Expendables. I'm, like, Googling real quick. Like, I didn't even know he was in there. Yeah. yeah, he was Demolition in the last Man. One. Oh, Demolition Man was good. Yeah, I don't... Demolition Man is good. White yeah. Man Can't Jump? Yeah. 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 There you go. You Thank know. Thank you, Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can do White Man Can't Jump for 2000. Don't All right. Hurt. That'll work. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, so I've always been in love with Storm. Like, I just think Storm is, like, super dope. Yeah. Um, so I like like a hybrid of her power and Professor X. Wow, like, that's a, that's an ass taken right there. Those are both yeah. the most powerful, one of the most powerful mutants. Damn. I mean, Storm is just on it. Like just everything. I'm a huge Storm fan. Nice, nice. Uh, since you're a huge Storm fan, let me just throw this in there. Do you have you heard of Maya Sakura? She has been doing um, fan videos, uh, and she's been having. She had two successful Kickstarters, but she's been doing fan videos for um, it's called Storm. Um, a fan fan film, and basically she plays the role of Storm, the the new age version with the mohawk and all that other stuff. And I mean, it's she. This is really professional level stuff. Like it's very dope. So I and I'll tweet you her her handle and all that stuff. Definitely check that out. If you love Storm, you're you're gonna be into this. Oh, please do. Yeah, I'm a big fan. She's great. Yes. All right, man. Well, you survived the brap segment. You survived the fan bro show interview. Is there anything you want to let the people out there know where they can find you? Any of that good stuff before you get out of here? You can find me on Twitter at Deray D E R E Y. Um, that the work will require all of us if we're going to win, right? That this is not something that like we alone can sustain as people fighting on the ground. That protest is always confrontation. It's always disruption. It is the end of silence, um, but it's not always in the streets and physical. That like some of protest is confronting the way people think about the world, and we have to fight in that space too. Man. It's of... like you don't want to say nothing behind that. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to mess like, up that flow. Yeah, it's so perfect right there. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the spaceship on Fanbro's show, DeRay. Thank you again. Blessings, man. Stay up and stay strong and, you know, keep fighting the fight for us out here. Yeah, much cool. appreciated, man. And, and actually, this made me realize I've done very few with people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there is a it is clear that you guys love each other and that like I could feel that. And that was important to me. Um, and it also there's like an, there's like an understanding of. I could like feel the fact that you like understood how being a person of color in this space, talking about this work was like meant something. So I appreciate both your invitation um, to me and like how this space was led that like allowed me to feel safe in it. So thank you. That'll make me cry, Duran. 